I am the master, and you will obey me. Listen to Dan Hadley on Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, or face the consequences. for type 40 a doctor who podcast from the fandom podcast network i'm dan hadley birmingham's king of the geeks designated driver shipmate <laughs> captain for this edition of the show i'll try not to go power mad <laughs> now whether you've got your sea legs or it's your first time on deck here we can guarantee you were free speaking big thinking doctor who talk for everyone whatever decade or century you started watching reading or listening along to the uh, ongoing adventures, ex- exploits on sea or, or land of our hero, the Time Lord Doctor Who. We are within rowing distance of the 60th anniversary now. So come and step into our TARDIS and share this journey here together with us on Type 40. Whoa, uh, here we are again, right up to date with, with televised episodes of the world's longest running science fiction and fantasy TV show, Braving the most treacherous waters to catch up with Chris Chibnall's uh, latest Doctor Who episode. I know, I know. We'll get through it together. Everybody will get through it together. And back for more, I don't know if I should apologise now or or after I bring him on, really. But back for more, it's my plucky ship, mate. It's Mr. Carl Wagner. Mr. Hadley, if you start channeling your inner Jack Sparrow, I might cause a mutiny on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) How are you, my friend? I'm okay. I'm okay. I could be walking the plank by 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 the time we put on the old uh, fandom podcast network ad break, couldn't I? Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it's very possible. With it, we all might be by this by the end of this episode. I have got so <laughs> so many pirate based puns lined up here in my notes. <laughs> Your head what, could what, be spinning. If you're going to be captain, you're really not dressed properly. I think you no, need to I need go, an eye go, patch go back at least. Your tar- go back in your type forty, change up, and then come c- come back. I mean. 
yeah. in the meantime, I'm going to try to get the water out of my ears because I don't know. I might leave it in, though. I don't know if I necessarily want to hear everything we have to say about this particular episode. Well, that's it. We're, we're having fun with all of this because I think I don't want to go into spoiler territory because I think there's so little fun to be had with the actual episode itself. Uh, but we'll get into that when we when we bring in our, our final shipmate. She's been here for virtually the entire time that we've been talking about the third season for Jodie Whittaker episodes. So uh, really, I suppose it's a case of, of uh, finishing what we started You've got to admire the spirit and the tenacity of Charlotte Shields. Yeah, as, as I said on the live show this week, it's very much an obligation watch nowadays. No. <laughs> I, 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 I have to know, has uh, Mr. Hadley agreed to pay for your therapy after this podcast? No, we, we've agreed after the centenary to have one together. Oh, okay. <laughs> Haven't we, Dan? You're, you're going to get in, get that group rate growing for everybody at Type 40 yes. after while, all you put them through for this last season. Yeah, yeah, we'll be uh, banging those little gongs. We'll all be wearing like big curtains and shit and saying "Om." Oh. I'm burning oh, we'll, incense. We'll, we'll, we'll um, we'll nick some of the crystals from Jodie's Tardis to meditate with. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good idea. I'm just saying. <laughs> There's some bad juju there. Juju. <laughs> so it's been a little while since we caught up, though, Carl. We we were here last time to talk about uh, Eve of the Daleks. That last special, we had to give you a few weeks, a few weeks away oh, from that to, okay. to cleanse too before bringing you back. Wait, wait, wait. We're, we're talking about that Academy Award-winning episode, Eve of the Daleks. When you compare it to this episode, yeah, yeah. It's funny how <laughs> it's it's funny how things just when you think they can't get any worse, somehow with this production team, they manage it every single time. That bar seems to get lower and lower. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about this episode. No, though, no. Dan, the, the, the problem is, I'm just going to throw this out there right at the beginning of the podcast. You're hitting your rock bottom when your episodes aren't even memorable, good or bad. They're just there. That seems to be a, a common theme, doesn't it? But how have, have other things been with you, though, Carl? Because I say it's been a few weeks. What else have you been up to? What's going on in the Fandom Podcast Network? Oh, we got all kinds of things going on. Obviously, um, Marvel has been a big topic between She-Hulk coming out, whether you like it or not, and it seems to be a pretty <laughs> split thing. I'm enjoying it. I think it's fun. I give Marvel a lot of credit for doing okay. something different. Plus, you know, Tatiana Maslany, I'm still putting out my marriage proposal to her. Yeah, she, you know, my future, my future now wife. Now we get to the root of it. Now we get to the root of it. Yeah, exactly. But that, so that's been fun. Um, interesting time. A lot of stuff coming out. Um, whether everybody has strong opinions on it whether we got uh the new rings of power game of thrones house of dragon which of course we got a little bit of doctor who tie um matt smith being one of Love the main it. leads in that in that show which has been an interesting experience it's it's a very interesting time and of course you know gearing up for a, a star wars series that i'm very excited about in Andor. that may I, have started by the time we dropped this episode in fact so we'll, yeah in we'll fact i'm sure it. sure it has because i think it starts this week and i know there's already a bunch of people who've seen like the first three or four episodes and they seem to be raving about it so i'm excited for that and i have to admit i have a high level of curiosity for later on this year when avatar way of the water comes out because it's gonna oh, be weird after so long to revisit you're the that one world. you're the one who's, who's curious about this film well, there's curiosity. I didn't say I was like excited for excited. it, but I am curious. Yeah. I am curious about it, and if nothing else, I know if uh, James Cameron's going to put some amazing effects on the screen. So, you, I, yeah, I'd say that's to. that's a given, isn't it? I mean, I, I suppose that was enough in 2008. Whether it's going to be enough now, it's a lot. There's been a lot of a lot of water uh, uh. under the bridge. 
since I, the first I, Avatar film came out. I, th I, think I, I think I need a life preserver for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just getting warmed up, everybody. Just getting warmed up. How about you, Charlotte? Have you been watching House of the Dragon? Because you're a massive Matt Smith fan, aren't you? Oh, I'm, I'm going to wait till it's all done. And then just, I like to sometimes with especially very scripted drama, just watch it sort of when it's all out. That's what I think yeah. I'm going to do oh, with House of the Dragon. It, it's got Matt in, so I'm going to have to watch it. Yeah. So, so can I just throw out a bit of advice? This is not something you want to binge watch because your brain will go into overload with the plot stories going on and stuff. So, you know, a couple episodes at a time, let it yeah, sink in. Yeah, that's my version episodes. of binge watching anyway. Yeah. I, don't, I can't do one after the other. I do a couple, <laughs> then a break, and then a couple. So, yeah, I mean, talking about binge watching, I'm not a big binge watcher. Uh, when it comes to Doctor Who in recent months, it's got to the point where I'm putting months in between watching episodes. So we usually, when we talk about uh, new episodes of Doctor Who, we bang out a review, usually within four or five days of it being on screen. This time, it's been around four or five months. But everything comes to, to those who wait. And we've got a lot to say about this episode throughout the rest of the show. Stay tuned for that. In the meantime, if you'd like to do some re real-time travelling of your own, each and every edition of this show, past, present and future, is just a tap or two away on the device of your choice if you know where to look. There's well over 100 now. Great conversations, reviews, previews, interviews, geek outs and deep dives with all our regulars and some pretty awesome guests. In fact, we know there's something for every fan at type40.podbean.com. There'll be more about all of that a little later on, as well as, as a couple of minutes, as always, where we will make contact with the matrix of all knowledge that we call the Fandom Podcast Network. We're going to have a word about all the other conversations going on across all those other shows across the network later on. So I'm getting the wind in my sails now, everybody. <laughs> Charlotte, do did, did, did you think a podcast mutiny uh, about 10 minutes in, into the podcast? Is that too early? <laughs> Wait for it. The best ones are yet to come, everybody. We're gonna... all, all, all you need is Dan's outfit now, and it'd be perfect from this episode. That's what I was telling him. Huh? <laughs> We're going to see if we can't find some buried treasure <laughs> in our big review of, of the last Doctor Who special, Legend of the Sea Devils. It was a, a very potent title that was revealed, wasn't it? At the culmination of the last Doctor Who special on New Year's Day 2022. And I have to say this to Chris Chibnall. Gen generally speaking, I am one for not having things spoilt. Now, I like for people to preserve their, their secrets, their surprises, and to, and to thrill us where they can. It's probably a fine, fine line to walk between, between teasing us and spoiling us. Uh, I think that Chris Chibnall is, uh, isn't a very confident showrunner in this regard, so he chooses to not do any of it at all. But in the case of, of teasing this special, I think that the teaser clip that we got at the end of Eve of the Daleks, where they revealed not just the title of, of this next special, but the returning villain that was, that was going to be leading it, I suppose you could say, stomping around on the decks, because that is a major coup, isn't it, Charlotte, for anybody who's a, a fan of, I was going to say classic Doctor Who then, but I think a fan of Doctor Who generally. I think even if you've not seen previous stories that feature the Sea Devils, they're some of those villains now that have got that sort of mythic ambience around, around them, like the Zygons before them. I think that people have been chomping at the bit to see them back for years. 
Yeah, because when I was watching New Who and I hadn't touched classic, I knew what the sea I knew who the Sea Devils were. I knew them by reputation. And I knew that they were sort of seen as sort of the very high tier of the villains from the classic era. Yeah. And ever since the Silurians came back with also a Chris Chibnall story in, in Matt's era, it's sort of been an ongoing thing in the fandom to see like, oh, when we're going to get Sea Devils? Because you've done the Silurians. It's been 38 years since they last appeared on screen. You know, they had just those two television appearances, initially back in 1973, opposite John Pertwee in The Sea Devils. That was written by, by Malcolm Hulk, who'd created The Sea Devils and The Silurians, and was a, a very seasoned, accomplished screenwriter, script editor, sadly no longer with us. And uh, the Sea Devils themselves partnered with the Silurians for a, a comeback in 1984's Warriors of the Deep, which isn't quite so fondly remembered, but I've always had a soft spot for this, and that takes place. Well, it took place in the future. It's still in the future. It's still in our future. No, it's about, it, yeah, 20, I think it's set in 2084, something like that. So that's going back all the way to the 80s. And then, and then nothing since. I think if you were to have listed when the show came back, which two classic villains would you would you want to see sort of brought back? The Zygons were always at the top. The Sea Devils were probably underneath. So what I wondered, Kyle, because I know that you're not so into the classic show. There's some of it you've seen, some of it you haven't, some of it you remember, some of it you don't. Did you have any knowledge of the Sea Devils coming into this? Were you aware of the weight of the title and what that would mean for some Doctor Who fans? Yeah, I, I was aware of the Sea Devils and I, I know their importance. Guys, I, I, I want to tell you something. I, I actually took a trip to Chris Chibnall's writing room. It was quite interesting. When you, when you walk in, there's these two big spinning wheels. And one <laughs> says, like, Eve, Legend, and a bunch of other words. And he spins that, and he gets one word. And then he has a bunch of Doctor Who villains on the other one. And he spins that, and whatever comes up. So that, he, he just happened to be fallen, um, you know, like Eve of, the, Eve of Daleks. You know, it, it's great how he just randomly gets things here the sad part of this is is that the sea devils who should have gotten so much better of a storyline and so much better of a treatment in their return they should have they could have easily been a major big bad where we see them throughout a season I like think some that's of the, fair. you've seen these characters pop up multiple times in a season recurring villains like villains. the silence that have because they yeah. are visually very very striking aren't they i mean you could say that they look rather silly but then again, don't they all? They have this sort of Power Rangers kind of feel to them. Yeah, a sensitive redesign to bring them in line with things like the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Modern sensibilities, I think, are at play here. They've given them interesting weaponry and the seaweed and things everywhere. And you do get the impression that there's a story that, to be, that can be told, a story to be told about where, where they've been, where they could go, and about their culture. And it, but if there is, this probably isn't it. Chibnall's handled with most monsters. It's like they're little more than hired heavies. Do you remember in the old Adam West Batman cartoons mm. where the penguin or somebody would have three or four people in multicolored sweaters behind him mm. and they'd come in and they'd do the fighting with Batman? I think Chris Chibnall views Doctor Who monsters very, very similar to that. It doesn't really matter what color vests they wear as long as they sort of throw the right punches and stand in the right spots. They're interchangeable. I I think he very much sees, unless they're the Daleks, which maybe he's written with a bit more sort of depth and a bit more sort of detail. If you're not a Dalek or a Cyberman, he sees them as just, they're there to be an obstacle for the Doctor. That's it. 
there's no uh, nothing else to them. He had more fun with the Daleks, only marginally, but he did have more fun with them. I agree. The, the problem here is, is that you do this special with a longtime villain that people have been wanting to see again and learn more about and see them being brought back into the fandom of Who in a complete throwaway episode. There's there's no meaning to this episode episode because it doesn't even tie into the aspect of oh well the doctor is going to be changing soon you know even when we had episodes before whether it was capaldi matt smith david tent those last episodes kind of started having at least a theme to them right now it's all over the place and i just i watch this episode and i just i sit there afterwards and i'm just saying chimnaut has got to be doing this intentionally he's going to make he want he he was he's so bitter or angry about how things went that he's just like I'm just going to just do whatever I can to make everybody mad and make it as difficult as possible to transition into something new. It does feel think, like running a series into the ground, Charlotte. I think that's yeah, and I, I think Carl's touching something I felt, especially rewatching this. That there's no build up, there's no sense that like Carl said, we've got a regeneration coming on the horizon, like all the other doctors. Even, like, the first... I would class it as, like, their last three episodes, usually. You would get this feeling of changes coming, a build-up, even a bit of anticipation to the regeneration. Pathos. Yeah. And And with this, you could put this in Series 11, Series 12, Series 13, and it would fit structurally, because there's nothing to do with... Like, and if you, I don't know if they were trying to do that with the Thasmin stuff near the end. That's what I don't know if that was what Chibnall, that was Chibnall's attempt, because we've she does spoken, sort of talk about. We've how spoken I before though, Charlotte, haven't we? About if anything, the character of the Doctor, rather than evolving, has actually gone backwards throughout the entirety of Jodie Whittaker's run, and and this episode, I think, being a a, a, a final chance really to to um. To have fun, I suppose, and to just tell a rollicking adventure story, we get to see that it's not really possible because she doesn't know her character any better now than she did back then. Uh, production values are threadbare, which I'm sure we'll touch on. The cast appear to have next to no chemistry, despite their best efforts to bring their own personal personal character through. The material's not not there, and the and the um, the TLC isn't there either. The only character on the on this episode, and it was to me the same with even the dogs, who's even bringing some fun to this, is Dan. Yes, it, Dan. Yeah. There's a little life to this character here. There's a little he he's embracing the craziness that's going on around him. The poor John Bishop as as Dan Lewis. I've remembered his name this time. Mandip Gill plays Yasmin Khan, and Jodie Whittaker is the Doctor along with the Marlowe Chan Reeves, who plays Ying Kai, Crystal Yu, who plays Madame Ching. We've got Craig Ells playing the Chief Sea Devil. Arthur Lee plays Yi Hun, and David Kiti C plays Ying Wai. So it's um, it's a bigger cast than the last special, but not massive. And there's a, there's a bunch of actors, a bunch of guys who stomp around as Sea Devils. I'm going to name-check a few of those, actually. There's, there's Richard Price, who's very active on Twitter. He's very proud to be associated with the show. And uh, Mickey Lewis, Andrew Cross, Chester Durant, John Davey, and Simon Carew. I think they play between them. They've probably been inside multiple Doctor Who monsters over the years, if not all of them. 
And uh, in my, yeah, I'd say that we could call those guys the heroes of the piece, really, not just this piece, but several pieces over the last two to three years. And I, I want to doff cap to them first, I think, because I've got nothing against any of those guys. I, I wouldn't say it's a thankless task, but obviously their faces aren't on screen. And you can imagine this is, I think it's fun work, but probably quite hard work, quite long days. And they get as invested in this show as anybody else is making it, I suppose. So so I can see why they're proud to proud to be in it. But unfortunately the, the end result in, in this case is um yeah, it's yeah, somewhat uh, somewhat of a shipwreck, I think. Okay, so let's let's get into it. This is Legend of the Sea Devils, written by Ella Rode and Chris Chibnall, and the blurb. You think some of my puns are on the nose. Listen to this. Swash, <laughs> this is the official synopsis here from the BBC. Swash, buckle your seatbelts. The Doctor is back for this action-packed adventure as she comes face to face, no, face to Finn. I missed that one. With one of her oldest adversaries, the Sea Devils. Beneath the oceans of the 19th century lurk terrifying forces. Why has legendary pirate queen Madame Ching come searching for a lost treasure in a remote coastal village. The Doctor, Yaz, and Dan, remember him, must battle deadly sea monsters, flying pirate ships, and a plan that will threaten the entire planet in Jodie Whittaker's penultimate story as the Doctor. That makes it sound almost exciting, Kyle, doesn't it? This was originally broadcast on the 17th of April this year, 2022, on an Easter bank holiday weekend. What a, what a treat. They, Bank holiday weekends, Kyle, over here, we talk about this a lot. And they're generally times where entire families sit down, have a meal and veg out in front of the telly. I won't say we switch our brains off, but the idea is it's a communal thing. So people either go to the pub together, have a meal together or whatever else away from just an extra day off work, really. And so a show like this to be put in the dead centre of that day, it should, have, it should have prestige, it should have drawing power, and Doctor Who is, was, a big family favourite. And then they served them something like this. They, they, what they served was the three-day-old three seafood leftovers. That's, 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 what, that's what got served here, and that's the problem. And I said this before we even got on live, was... Is this an episode of Doctor Who count if nobody remembers it? There is nothing memorable about this episode. It's it's plain. Uh, it's like, oh, we just need to throw something out there. We're, I said it before. We're in the countdown of a regeneration, and yet there's no hint of that at all. The only thing that even remotely showed something with the Doctor is when she has that conversation with Yaz at, towards the end of the episode where she talks about how broken she is. And I'm like, if we're going to go off a of modern history with the Doctor, there's, there's only one person in the history of Doctor Who where the Doctor would make that would be if, if something. If I was going to fix myself, I'd be going to that person, and we all know that's Rose. And to, for her to say that to Yaz, which again, there's, I'm sorry, there is no chemistry at all between Jodie Whittaker and Mandip Gill. Just no, it's never more obvious than in, the, in this very episode, is it? Because they're together for a bulk of the time. They have a couple of moments where to follow up on the conversation that, that Dan and Yaz had in the last special, they, uh, they try and, they try and uh, evolve that a little. But if anything, uh, Dan has more chemistry with Yaz. Oh, yeah. They feel like time. two characters. They feel like two equals having a proper conversation who've actually spent time together. 
and the actors. I, I say I, I'm not. I've no doubt that Mandy Gill and Jodie Whittaker are very fond of one another, enjoy working together. But unfortunately, it's just not. It, it's just not there on the page. The characters never feel like they're in the same space, Charlotte. Uh, no, no, they don't. It just and just to to add to what Carl said, that whole like the multiple conversations they had when Jodie's doctor is literally saying, oh, if I was going to settle, if I was going to pick anybody to sort of live my life, it'd be you. And in my head, I was like, so not Rose, not your wife, who you literally name check. Well, you don't name check, but she says, oh, I was married. So they even reference River. And no, Just no, remind you of people you liked a lot, lot better in yeah, episodes but, were a lot more convincing. No, but that's the problem. She she mentions River in the in this conversation when she's like putting these. Oh, Yaz, you're brilliant. You're amazing. I'd pick you, Jodie. You've not said anything to show you've got any romantic anything until this literal episode. Yes, Yaz had that conversation last episode, but the problem was when Dan even confronted Jodie and Eve, she acted like, oh, what what are you going on about? She she just denied it. So it would have worked better, honestly, I think, if in the last episode she might have gone, oh, okay, I'll think about that. I'll said something so then now it makes sense as to why she's literally declaring her love, in a sense, in this episode. It just felt completely out of nowhere from Jodie's end. And I just think you can't then go, like, 50 miles per hour to finish the episode with her saying, like, oh, I wish this could last forever. It's just like, yeah. no, you've not done the work on the doctor's end at all. You've hardly done it on Yaz's end, but at least there's a little bit. The rumour is, though, that this was the original final episode for the 13th Doctor. That was the original plan that, that when this, uh, when the last run was commissioned, when Flux was commissioned in the wake of the, of the pandemic and it was parred down to those six episodes, it was a seven-episode order. No, an eight-episode order, sorry. If you remember, we talked about it. I think we, we might have even broke that story when nobody else was talking about it on Type 40 Live on our sister show on YouTube. We were talking about the fact that it was an eight-episode order. So this makes up that, that production block, that big chunk. So it would seem to support the idea that the era was meant to close out with this. This was envisaged, imagined as the original finale to the entire Jodie Whittaker era and that it was sort of um, made into a special somewhere further down the line when the BBC commissioned a singular standalone episode to, to tide them over in the latter part of this year. I really wonder if that wasn't Russell coming in and saying, no, we're not doing this because this is terrible. We need to have something that's a lot more proper than what this would be as the final episode of and then a regeneration out of this. I think this is that this extra episode that we're going to get, which is going to be the transition in the regeneration, was probably one of Russell's demands to come back. Was like, no, yeah, well, I, we now know, we now know, Carl, that Russell was talking to the BBC for well over a year, but the Chris Chibnall didn't find out about it until 24 hours before the public. So the, whilst mm -hmm. the BBC were talking to Russell, and well, probably more likely talking to Bad Wolf and Russell, yeah. they weren't including Chris Chibnall in that loop at all. They said, okay, this is, you know, we need this from you. And so they were probably aware when Bad Wolf and Russell could deliver their potential first episode. And they thought, okay, if we've got that big chunk of time with it off screen potentially for two years, we're going to need something else from the outgoing production team to tide them over. So 
okay, that we've got that order of eight, let's commission one more, tie it into the centenary and, and go, 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 go. It's a pretty much standard adventure yarn, isn't it? And the first time I watched this back in April, none of it sank. Oh, that, I did that one by accident. None of it sank in. Uh, the, the nuances of what what Madame Ching was after and why. What the Sea Devils wanted to do and why. I mean, it turns out the Sea Devils want the same things that they've always wanted, the Silurians always want, just to take the Earth back from us. It's it's still quite a... It's got a lot of, of punch that has. And I can see why they would go back to that again if I'm being generous, because obviously it's been a long time since these villains have been on screen, so it's fine, it's fine. But at the time I watched this really it left no impression on me at all Carl. just as you said it all washed over me and none of these elements of the plot stuck from throughout the show at all through watching the show, it just wasn't a compelling adventure story and then you got the other side to it. you think okay well not everything can be a compelling adventure story sometimes we're there just for the character charlotte but as you've said when the characters have very little in the way of connection and chemistry we haven't got that either so we're all at sea Hey, we're at sea, clinging on to whatever whatever we can to carry us through nearly 50 minutes of runtime because, you know, this is Doctor Who and we love this show and we want it to do well, we want it to succeed. And amazingly, there was a certain amount of goodwill that had built up towards this in that two or three months in between specials simply because it's a canny, canny thing that Chris Chibnall did by, just as you said, Kyle, by getting this particular toy out of the toy chest, thinking, okay, this will tide people over this will guarantee they come back because after after nearly 40 years people will want to see the sea devils again it it turns out not that many people at all but as the story moved along yeah it it just all completely washed over me i went and rewatched it this weekend because i knew we were going to be recording this this podcast to talk about it and i have to say with the rewatch a lot more of it a lot more of it did sink in i was able to at least work out why they were doing what they were doing but it should again it shouldn't take a rewatch i can see why i'd love to see the breakdown of when people switched off to this but i suspect that the drop off as as the episode was being screened just fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer people they were all turning over to whatever was on the itv1 at the at the same time there were some pretty pictures up on screen i think kyle some of the, some of the visual effects in this were i i'd say stunning with a small s were nicely done and there were some nice ideas that really quite visual such as the captured pirate ship that the sea devils had, had pimped out even though i can't i can't stand it when the doctor does that drops all those modern day slangs in and she does it all the way through this but um that that looked quite nice but again it's not enough to carry you through for 50 minutes is it this is the truth of the chris chibnall era more than i think anything right now you just summed it up dan the p- untapped potential and this is this it's like Christian Nall during this run has just written on the surface for Doctor Who. He's been like he's almost been afraid to dive deep into Doctor Who. And then when he does, it's like, no, it's going to be my idea that's going to just completely change everything and disrespect all the history of Doctor Who. He has not chosen to dive deep into the mythos of Doctor Who. He would rather have done his own thing. Throw, throw some people some bones to keep their eyes on it, like including the Sea Devils, only to, when we get to that, be like, I'm underwhelmed. This is this is not what I used to. I'm used to. Russell dove deep into the mythos of Doctor Who. Um, everything with um, 
I'm blanking on his name, but through the Matt Smith era and the Peter Capaldi era. Yeah, the Stephen Moffat era. Stephen Moffat. They dove into the mythos yet and added to it and created their own mythos with it, but still keeping the mythos of Doctor Who there. Chibnall just has, like, he's either been afraid to dive into it or he's only chosen to dive into the canals that he's created. He doesn't, it just seems like it's like, I'm going to give you the piece of candy and it's going to keep you happy, but it's a 20 year old piece of candy. It's going to taste funny. And that's, that, that's what, what this episode felt like. It was like, Oh, here's the sea devil. Great. Great. And then it's like, okay, something. What do they right want? Here. Who cares? Yeah. Because there, there is a plot, but it's only, it, it's sort of happening over there. And the characters don't seem that interested in it. The stakes don't seem, they don't seem particularly urgent. We're told that they're quite high, but the doctor doesn't seem that bothered. She does some very strange things in this too, doesn't she, Charlotte? Like at one point, her and Yaz go on off on a bit of a jolly back to the past. It's like, oh, well, Dan's gone and wandered off somewhere. Where is he? Don't know. Don't care. Let's let's travel back another couple of hundred years and go and do something else instead. I'm sure we'll find him later on. It is bizarre, isn't it? The, the breaks of the yeah, story um... turns. I, because I had the opposite effect rewatching this. I found more issues. I actually found this wa- this worse. Because when I first watched it, I was like, it's not terrible. It's not brilliant. It's a meh episode. But I rewatched it. And I was finding so many more issues. And a big one was the Dan thing. Because, yes, in the past, companions get separated from the Doctor. That happens. It's the nature of the show. But it's but usually to propel, other... a, a, propel a parallel narrative, isn't it, that's going to tie back into the story in some way? Yeah, it's either for a story reason, but my bigger issue is every other Doctor, when that's happened, has been worried, has been yeah. a bit panicked, has been a bit... She doesn't even give if a they, flying... E- even if they can't get to that companion, you can tell in the performance and the writing. It's in the back of the Doctor's head. He, he wants to get back to them as soon as possible. With Dan, Yaz is more worried... Then the doctor, she's the one saying like, "Oh, right, do you not want to go back?" And she's like, "Nah, he wandered off." And I'm just like, "He could die. He could get captured. You could die. So then he could be stranded without the, the TARDIS. So many things could happen, and there's just nothing registering with Whitaker's Doctor." And I see a lot of some of the more ardent fans of this era go like, "Oh, why? Why do you not like Jodie's Doctor?" This is a prime example as to why I cannot get on with this doctor. Because no, the doctor she's would be stupid, that blase. She, she's cowardly. She's disloyal, disinterested. Yeah, no, so, the doctor would act like that. I'm sorry, no, none of them. So I'm going to throw this out because as you were talking about this, Charlotte, it kind of hit me. And I, I go back to what we were talking about where at the end of the episode when Joe, when the doctor's talking to you as a doctor talking about how I'm wondering now, because we're talking about this and we feel like the Doctor is broken. Or that this isn't the Doctor. So I'm wondering, is the finale, is the regeneration episode, maybe Russell's going to have this reveal where something went wrong with the last regeneration or something like that. And there, there almost has to be a hard reset of the Doctor in the next regeneration in the aspect of, like, this last regeneration went wrong for whatever reason. It's been maybe some sort of crisis. The problem is with that idea, like, it's a good idea, but then she should be like that with all of her companions. But it's just but, Dan that she's but, but, been like this with. Or Graham. Yeah, it's just yeah. the straight white male males that are over... It, I'm, I'm sorry, people say, like, oh, stop talking about politics. This is, to me, another blatant Chibnall politics moment when I'm like, oh, so of course Dan is the one who gets absolutely abandoned 
It's very difficult not to talk about politics when you're looking at a show that's been so heavily politicised. I've been very resistant to do so myself over the years. I know it was trickling through a little in under Moffat in that last season, and that so, frustrated Stephen, Stephen Moffat too. But here, it's just it's just run wild the entire time to the point where, yeah, even the balance of conversation and screen time, I think that John Bishop in this one, there was no point in him being here at all. In my view, he played. He probably had a part to play in Eve of the Daleks, but generally speaking, I think he probably should have left at the end of Flux. The fact that he's still, I just don't know why he's still there. I'm, I hope he's buying himself a conservatory with the money or some, doing something nice, because um, I think he's making a little bit of a fool of himself staying in this show. Well, here, here, here's another thought too, and I'm, I'm wondering, and I'm just wondering if this isn't in the writers' room or something. It's like we can't have John and Jody on the same screen because it really shows in the acting. Just John show outsigns Jody at this point on on screen. And we can't have the doctor being outshined by somebody. He's just got a natural warmth, doesn't he, Kyle? Yeah. And that and that's what I'm saying. Heck, John feels more like he could be Dan feels more like he could again, like Graham. Dan feels more like he could be the doctor at this point than what Jody feels like as the doctor. Yeah. It's yet more indicators that well underlines what what i've been saying the whole time the doctor is a male part and that's how these stories work best what do you think about the supporting cast because there's not many of them that in my view they're sort of okay they they wander around they do lots of physical things a couple of them seem quite decent actors and yet the, the names never they just don't stick in your memory and i i can't really re recall who was doing what and why so i only watched it a couple of days ago and i didn't think any of them were particularly bad in it but I didn't think they were particularly good either. And that's why it's so difficult to to sort of um, to go up a gear when talking about this episode, I think. Because there's so little there's, there's so little there. Everybody just seems there to, to pick up the paycheck, maybe have a few days in the studio wearing some silly costumes and have have a bit of a have a bit of a laugh. I I like the male pirate. I thought he had a bit of presence, a bit of something about him when his scenes I was actually paying more attention. But I'm intrigued. I'm going to ask you, you two, what you felt. I think Madam Ching is that how you say it? Madam Ching pirate. Yeah, I, I, I think her actress was incredibly wooden, and and yeah. I think that's such a shame because in Flux we actually had one of the better historical characters in Mary Seacole, and we actually got. Oh, shown that's true. That Chibs can actually write historical. Do characters. you think, Charlotte, that that initially that this was supposed to be a, a historical character, as you say, like Mary Seacole, or looking back, this was going to be like uh, Simon Callow playing Charles Dickens, you know, one of those touchstones that would send kids straight to Google to find out who Madame Madame Ching was. I I never heard of Madame Ching. I've got I I've got to be completely honest, but. By the end of this episode, I don't feel I know... I still don't know anything ab about her. She is little more than talking scenery in this. We we know as much about Madame Ching at the end of the episode as we do at the beginning. And so whether she existed or not feels completely inconsequential. The problem is you have to care about the episode before you can care about the e characters in the episode. Everybody I've talked to who's watched this is the same thing. Oh yeah, that episode. There's too much indifference to this episode, so the performances themselves get lost in the fact that the episode is just there. It exists, and that's it. And there wasn't anything special either within the writing of the episode or the performances within the episode, which I think are reflective of the writing, 
to make anything stand out. So how can you judge? And did you notice those weird jumps as well? I don't know if it was badly edited because there's elements like there was a scene where the TARDIS is within the jaws of a big sea monster. That's quite impressive. They talk about this this big sea monster that the sea devils have got. It takes the TARDIS and, and then it fades to black, like really abruptly. And then the next time you see them, everything's sort of fine. And that happens at two or three points in the episode it, it, as if it's been sort of really edited in a, a, a panic or, or, or just over a lunchtime or something like that. Oh, this will do. We'll snip this bit. We'll snip that bit. It, the rumour is, I think this episode came in at around 47 minutes, which isn't very long for a, a special. Usually specials are 60 minutes. But there are rumours that it was edited because uh, some of the material that was in it was, was deemed by uh, some of the upper echelons of the BBC when they reviewed it, that it was removed because it was considered culturally insensitive. But, you know, that's just speculation at the moment. We can only judge by what's on screen, can't we? And, and I did notice that at several points that the plot would just sort of stop and would pick up a little while later on with characters in sometimes completely different locations doing different things, having a completely sort of different energy with the people that they were in scenes with. It, it, was, it was like uh, there was chunks of this episode missing, chunks of the story missing. Yeah, it had a real patchwork feel. If I were to think of a word like you said, disjointed characters would just literally pop. Like in the beginning, when she first meets the sea devil on the beach, suddenly out of nowhere they've got a net and they've caught it in the net. And yeah. we didn't see the scene beforehand to show them having it. So you just sort of went, right, I've just watched Jodie talk at it and suddenly now they've caught it. There was a, yeah, quite I a bit of those well. type of moments. But they're just that good. They're the best ever. This team. They just. They just decide these things. They don't even have to talk, communicate in in any way for them to know exactly what the doctor would want them to do. <laughs> well, it is, uh, it is so strange. That, that again, this comes back to all everything that's wrong with this episode. You know, it, it commits the worst crime. It exists. It's not so bad that you can sit there and just you remember it because it was so bad, and then there's nothing good about it to exciting it just exists and it ex and the problem is is that's the worst thing you can do and you talk about the editing the writing everything it's just like it feels like it was just thrown together what we got is this hodgepodge mess of an episode it's hard to imagine that this is the same series that brought us uh, episodes like uh, the 11th hour and, um listen and have uh heaven sent it, it's just feels like a completely different production on a totally different network. It's heartbreaking, really, to see to see Doctor Who, the show that that trailblazed back to TV in two thousand and five. I know that seventeen years is a long time, but it's heartbreaking to see it all looking so so tawdry. It's sort of hollow. That's what I felt coming yeah. after this episode. The direction, the editing, the story, the performances, like, there's, there's tiny little bursts. This almost felt like, to me, watching it, like, this was almost their first episode ever they've done. Like, we've, yeah, we've gone very, back very that early. many years. When the yeah. production team are just gelling together and, and testing boundaries about what they can and can't do feasibly. I mean, they, they could have had a lot of fun, for example, with, with a sword fight. Everybody loves a sword fight. There's that classic sword fight between the Doctor and the Master in the original Sea Devil story. And here we have the Doctor clashing swords with the Sea Devil. I quite like the Sea Devil's new weapons. I quite like the, the idea that they can 
uh, there's a, a swirl of mist and they sort of magically appear. It doesn't make a great deal of sense based on previous ex- appearances, but tech is tech. It's it's fine. I'm a little more uh, concerned about why they can suddenly fly through the air. <laughs> Did you see that? They were leaping up through the air like Superman in an old, in an old sort of 1940s cartoon or something. I don't know. That, that just looked ridiculous. And the uh, also come to think of it, the Doctor was swinging on ropes between ships and things like that. But the, you see, you don't actually see her doing it. You just see her boots sort of fall on the deck, and that's that, like an under-budgeted yeah. kids well, show. Well, while she's shouting Jeromino, which felt really not nice for me. <laughs> yeah, said, I, I didn't notice that, that the first time, but I did. I did when I watched it the other day. It, it's hard not to. It's it's just hard to have anything positive to say about this whatsoever and the, the sword fight itself was so was just so stilted under rehearsed Whitaker herself as always is really unconvincing doing anything at all I mean you think she's bad when it comes to the acting with saying the lines anything physical she looks utterly ridiculous completely lost and, uh, and you just think god this could have been so much better with just about anybody else in this role I'd like I say I like the idea I like the idea of Doctor Who connecting with with pirates and I like the idea of the sea devils being involved in in this in this world I think it's a fun thing to mash up and you can you can play with the pirates of the Caribbean aesthetics and things like this but I don't know maybe it's just 10 12 years too late I don't know No it it, it it's the wrong creative team it's 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 the wrong wrong creative team i truly believe i I, i'm really starting to get the feeling that chris chibnall wrote flux and then he checked out he's like i've done done my part i should have been done with flux you guys want these extra episodes okay you go yeah i mean whether you like flux or not i will at least give credit in the aspect it did feel like chibnall was at least trying to be checked in a little bit during flux like it was like a storyline he actually had some caring about even the daleks in this it's just like i'm just throwing out whatever whatever sticks make it work the stuff all the all those scenes on the on the deck of the pirate ship by this point you know we've got the the two characters the two pirates from different eras in in chinese history and yet that's never explored the contrast between them we get a, a vague moment where madam ching is quite impressed by uh is it uh ji hun is the other character yeah or i think Yee-hun? it's ji hun yeah yeah and, and as you say he's quite they're, they're not bad actors but they're just given nothing to do and on, on the the deck of this ship you can you can see it's you know it's a studio set it's all really minimal looks really cheap looks like an episode of horrible histories that kind of thing which i'm sure is a great show but that's not what i go to doctor who for and the whole thing just sort of just sort of peters out really and the the plot comes to a damp conclusion. Uh, the sea devils, yeah, we get a couple of sound effects. Don't when the sea devils are killed, we get that sort of screeching sound effect. Eh. In another episode, Kyle, made by a different production team, I would have probably thrilled to that. But by the time the sea devils are all sort of cut down by by Dan, who's this sort of excellent swordsman, it's all so so pathetic, so ridiculous. I know I've said this before when it comes to this era, but this isn't just bad Doctor Who; it's bad television, and it's absolutely indefensible that this show can lay any pretense to being to having an international profile and to broadcast something of, of such low standard. And they can they can make the excuses that there's been a pandemic, there's been this, there's been that. BBC cuts, 
whatever. Then you cut your cloth. You make better choices. Like they just can't do it. Mandip Gill hanging in there, bless her heart. Given these sort of uh, lifeline, minor plot strands to play with for a little, like you say, Kyle, until they run out of screen time to to play out with. It, it's it is all rather tragic, and I'm trying not to labour the point, which is very difficult not to. As we work towards that final scene on the beach between the Doctor and Yaz, you talked about it earlier on, Charlotte, and I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I think the actors, both of them, even even Whitaker tries to work with that to get the most out of it. But because there's been nothing there apart from a scene in the very previous episode, you just think blah, 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 whatever, girls. <laughs> you know, can I, can I wake up yet? I, I know there are some out there that are thrilled by all of this Thasmin stuff, but there are very, very few of them. And, and enough's enough. It, here it felt, it felt like whatever was excised from the production, wherever they had to take it out, the rumoured cultural insensitivity or, or what I don't know. It felt like that scene was really tacked on at the end. And, yeah, uh, and, was... and and I also think that is not the type of scene you end your episode on. You don't do a, such a low-key yeah. sort of really interpersonal scene. I, you can have it... When it I'm ends, well, Charlotte, you... it ends so abruptly, doesn't it? Just like those cuts we were yes. talking about earlier on. It just The episode itself also just stops and then the titles roll. Yeah, it, it just it feels odd to have that scene as your last impression as well. And like you said, and I think even odder, you've got the scene before this when Diane randomly rings Dan. That. Yeah. To, to just sort of say, actually, no, I don't hate you now. And it's just like... Convenient, isn't it? What? Like, where's that come from? So, yeah, it just... And like, this was meant to be Pirates of the Caribbean. Like you said, it was meant to be adventure. And I just think to and on this scene just doesn't work at all. There's there's only one way this scene works as far as how it ends and that kind of abrupt ending. And again, I go back to if we have a sense that the regeneration is coming. Like, if this scene, if it cuts off here, but we, we have a sense, okay, there's something more going on here. There's the regeneration coming. We've got, there's something more going on here. They'll kind of leave us almost like on a cliffhanger type kind of feel going into what the next special would be. But there isn't. There's no energy in this episode with anything. And I got to tell you, watching that last scene, it more felt like the, the real dialogue was between, should have been between Jody and Mandip. It's like, are we done with this yet? Can we just <laughs> shut the book on this? Because I get, I honestly get the feeling from what, what I've seen and what I've read, Jody's very much going to be very happy that this is all done because I, it's gone so That's terribly wrong. And I think Mandip realizes she better get a hit with her next role or she could be out of the business altogether. And she needs to prove that she is what everybody seems to want to hype her as, is that she's a much better actress than what we've seen on, on this show. And I'm like, then she better get a role that's something completely different from this yeah. and something she's where gone, she can exercise her energy. into theatre with a role opposite Tom Felton in this sort of long-running murder mystery. I think it's a two-hander that they're doing on, on stage. or It's a, quite a small cast, quite a minimal thing. And apparently she's really good in it. So I do hope... You know, I do hope she comes out of this show with some semblance of a career, but being associated with that character on a show that has failed so publicly over such a long period of time, I don't think it's going to do anybody any good, really. I, I, I can see the day 
somewhere down the line when the truth comes out about this run of Doctor Who. And I really do do think that 90% of this is on Chris Chibnall. And I really think that he yeah. sabotaged not only himself, but Jodie Whittaker and everybody else in the process because he was so more concerned about what he wanted and his agendas than he was about putting out a quality product. The, See, the I, agendas I really... and the choices, Charlotte. Uh, yeah, this was. I don't know what you thought about the direction. I don't know whether it's just been badly edited or whether it's the fault of the director. But again, we've got a, a director on this, Halo Wang, who uh, has been gone on record, even though she's uh, based in, in London, a Chinese writer and director. She admitted that she'd never seen the show, which is fine. I don't suppose you need to have seen the show to, to work on it. Again, the direction to me doesn't seem particularly good. She's got very few credits. Apparently she's gone on to work on something for Netflix, but she's next to a non-entity. And then you've got this co-writer, Ella Road, who worked on it with Chris Chibnall. Heavens above, talk about the blind leading the blind. Ella Road is a 31-year-old 30, British writer who describes herself on Twitter as nasty, brutish, and short. Sounds sounds absolutely yeah, lovely. That... She's got no <laughs> right. She's got no writing credits to her name until this for screened television. She's a playwright, best known for a play called The Philobotomist, and uh, and a second one which she's just put on. It's called Fair Play, which is uh, all about the scrutinisation of women's bodies in sport, focusing on uh, testosterone levels and people who are intersex. That's her only credit. And on the strength of this, Chris Chibnall invited her to co-write a special on one of the BBC's flagship shows. Because obviously with Flux, we had it was mainly Chibnall, so we didn't have a lot of new writers like we've had in no. previous series. And I think this one really showed, just we got reminded how badly Chibnall picks these people. Because I, the, fight, the sword fight, that is one of the worst direction I've seen in years. Because it wasn't still, the camera was constantly shaking about, it was constantly cutting and moving. Like, if you've got a set piece fighting bit, you need to direct that well because it shows more than anything else. Get a fight choreographer in and really work with them on breaking down every single stroke of that well, sword. That's my point. You've, if you've got, like we said, you've got the cast not being brilliant, but if the director also can't show it, to the best of the ability that a fight scene should be it was just like i said it, it reminded me of like a student film some of the some of yeah. the direction yeah. in that in that sword fight and like if otherwise if it wasn't a sword fight it was just flat like there was nothing dynamic whatsoever it's like you said about eve you quite liked the last director i didn't think it was bad the last one but this one i i could feel it when i was watching it Anella Road, I, I, if she was meant to be there for maybe some of the more relationship stuff, I don't know. I think that was the rumour. I don't know if she even said that herself. I can't quite remember now. So she may have written that last scene. That's what she may have been there for, to do the Yeah, I, 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 I don't know if she said that in an interview. or it's a, I can't quite remember now. No, I think you and might come to think of it. To, to be fair, the dialogue wasn't bad in that last scene. It's I've, I've seen a lot worse dialogue in the Chibnall era. But otherwise, you could tell she's not used to doing sci-fi or adventure or anything because the flow and the pace, obviously, that's not all on her. It's Chibnall's co-writing on this. 
but and I wouldn't can't it be, see wouldn't it not... be weird though wouldn't it be weird that these are characters that he created and has and has guided over three plus seasons and you reach a moment like that and he's not confident enough to write it himself yeah, because we know he doesn't believe in this whole relationship. The production team have said it was an afterthought in public interviews. What do you think, Kyle? I think Chris Chibnall has been completely exposed with this run of Doctor Who, and he will never run a show again as far as that goes. Because when they hired Chibnall, he's coming off Broadchurch. And you go back and you watch that show, and it's, it's a very good show. But it's a very good show because... You have David Tennant. You have Olivia Coleman. You have these phenomenal oh, actors that elevate everybody around them and don't need a lot of direction. They have a good sense of it. Here we have Chris Chibnall now with Doctor Who, which very obviously action-oriented sci-fi is not his forte, even though he wrote episodes of Torchwood. But Torchwood was different. Torchwood had a slower pace to it at times and had those kind of episodes. We, he has been exposed that he, one, cannot judge talent. Two, unless he has incredible actors that can overcome his own deficiencies, he can't, he can't, he's not good enough to run it himself and produce, make it himself. And I think that when you talk about Graham and you talk about um, John Bishop in his acting, you have two very good trained actors that they we always talk about. They, those characters were elevated. They 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 elevated themselves. Where you have young actors like Mandip and Tosin who probably could weren't learning on set, and then you add in Jody who I don't. I'm not going to say she's a horrible actress because I. But I don't think this is her forte. She needs to be in something like a broad church where she's not carrying the show. She is a supporting actress. She can, ha if she has a good ensemble around her that compliments her great, but she never had that. There are times when I watch these episodes and I wonder, did they do any sc actual screen tests between these actors before they actually made the picks and made the casting? Because it doesn't feel like it. The, the chemistry has been so off. Yeah. M Manny said in a comic con, she didn't have to audition. So I'd be so I think to answer your question probably no. I mean there was just the, this was it's an incredibly poorly run show and that right now and when Bad Wolf takes it over I think it's going to even even if the episodes aren't outstanding mind blowing episodes they're going to feel like that because they're at least cohesive and there's been effort and proper running of the show done. And it's just, just we're going to end this air and go, what happened? And <laughs> I mean, that, that's literally what happened. And it's just, you can tell it right now at this point, everybody has checked out on Doctor Who from creative to actors to the fans. And it's sad. And that's, it's not even Doctor Who burnout because I think there's still a desire there to have good Doctor Who by a lot of people. It's that, well, the actors and the creative don't seem to care. Why should we care? And well, even, so, even down to people like us who are commentating on it. You know, we've yeah. we've got together to talk about this episode out of a sense of uh, continuing to make a quality 
product and deliver as we promised review on every single episode of this era of doctor who this is kind of unfinished business but in many respects we're just ticking a box as well there's not a great deal to say i tr- you know, all of us i think come to think of it, we try to look for the the positives in things we don't want to just bash something for the hell of it i felt you know after we spoke about even the daleks that could have gone a bit easier on that because there was some entertainment value there but here no 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 this this isn't so much a review as an autopsy they deserve far i think they deserve yeah to be on the receiving end of a real pummeling for putting out something like this driving the whole show into the ground so so hard that they would put on put something like this on on a bank holiday monday and have the nerve to bill it as a special people have checked out on it i think we should check out for a couple of minutes and go and check in with the fandom podcast network to find out about a lot of the other great conversations that are going on on all the other podcasts over there what do you think i'm sure kevin has got something to say about all of that hasn't he oh he's uh, he usually got something to say about everything <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah let's see what's going on over there <laughs> Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. We'd like to continue to feed your ears by inviting you to listen to these other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. It starts with our flagship show, Culture Clash, discussing the latest in entertainment pop culture. Blood of Kings, Immortals Take Notice, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theaters, where we celebrate our favorite movies. Time Warp, the Fandom Flashback Podcast, discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie, and TV pop culture topics. Good evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Union Federation, our Star Trek and Orville show. Hair Metal, the 80s and early 90s rock metal podcast. Type 40, our show covering the time-traveling Doctor Who universe with host Dan Hadley. Lethal Mullet, an 80s and 90s action film podcast with host Adam P. O'Brien. Also check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, a Star Wars podcast with hosts Scott, Derek, and Nathan. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast, a deep dive into the final frontier with hosts Mark Newbold and Adam P. O'Brien. And check out our newest shows, The Fandom Show, our monthly fandom podcast network live YouTube exclusive show about the month's hottest topics in fandom, and the FPN True Believers MCU podcast discussing the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the related Marvel television and streaming MCU universe, including the connections to the original Marvel comics. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on several platforms. Please subscribe to the Fandom Podcast Network YouTube channel to receive notifications of new podcast episodes and live events. You can enjoy all of the Fandom Podcast Network audio podcasts on our master feed at fpnet.podbean.com. Fandom Podcast Network is on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and iTunes. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. You can also find the Fandom Podcast Network on Instagram at Fandom Podcast Network and on Twitter at FanPod Network. Thank you for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. Yes, we teased and tantalized you there, and we can even clothe you too. There's merch to match all of those shows, including Type 40, if you head over to tpublic.com. Search for the Fandom Podcast Network, and you'll there find a store full of all the team colors for all of the shows on everything from T-shirts to phone cases and tapestries and all else in between. 
treat yourself treat your other selves and it all goes to support the fandom podcast network into the bargain so everybody wins yeah we're back here uh, no mutiny has been staged <laughs> kyle and charlotte haven't forced me to walk the plank just yet but we're going to get into the the ratings here those all important ratings that we love in doctor who fandom to pick through the wreckage and uh yeah to see where blame can be <laughs> can be laid for the latest absolute shipwreck in this instance yes it's not been good it's not been kind overnight figure uk overnight ratings figure for this was a staggering 2.2 million viewers that was a whole million down just on Eve of the Daleks and a world away from the kind of ratings that this show used to get. This is the lowest rated episode of Doctor Who in its entire history on British television. Does that come as any surprise to you, Carl? Not really. <laughs> um, one, this came out at a very odd time for a Doctor Who episode. And two, people knew. this. That's a big part of the problem, especially with this particular episode, everybody knew at this point. It's lame duck episode. Russell's coming. Bad Wolf is coming. We don't care. We're, we're just waiting on that. I, I, I will be willing to bet that the next episode, which will be the change changeover, the start of the changeover episode, will probably double what this episode did. It's very hard to say, isn't it? Charlotte, were you surprised by this low figure? I've got to be honest, I was. I, I had a feeling it would be around the same as Eve of the Daleks. I thought that the bank holiday might may do it may do it a favour. I felt that perhaps the Sea Devils may at least hold the line for it. But to lose a whole million viewers in just a few months, that's massive, isn't it? Yeah, I can remember being surprised it was such a low one. I, I didn't think we were going to get any sort of miracles with a jump up. I knew some people were <laughs> thinking maybe the Sea Devils could do a bit of a bump. But I was, I remember thinking at the time, yes, we've spoke at the beginning, they're a, they're a fan favourite, but I don't think there'd be enough to counter all the bad feeling about this production team. So, But I didn't think it'd be a million. I thought probably Eve was going to be the resting point, viewing figure-wise, until we got to the regeneration. But... And especially as Doctor Who magazine even put out an even more shocking viewing figure. On the night, live, it was two million. It was actually just under two million, wasn't it? So they yeah. got this listed as the UK overnight figure. But you're quite right. What Doctor Who magazine revealed in, I think it was the 20, either 24 hours or 48 hours after it was broadcast, Tom Spilsbury, who collates the ratings for Doctor Who magazine, a former editor of the magazine too, a really nice fella, really into his stats. But yes, you're right, he did let it slip that what we now know as the UK overnight figure isn't what used to count as a UK overnight figure. In the old days, the days of the classic show, for example, if, if say, four million people tuned in to watch a Peter Davison episode, what, they, what that would mean is that four million people the overnight figure would be listed as the people who watched it as it was broadcast. Now they include in the overnight figure people who watched it on catch-up that night, literally that evening. So yes, you're you're quite right. The actual people who tuned in to watch this as it was being broadcast was less than two million. That is the biggest indictment you can have because that's how many active Doctor Who who viewers who actually think, no, I'm going to put the effort in to watch and watch it on that night 
watch BBC One on that time slot, and they got just less than two million. Weren't they beat into uh, into the ground too by a repeat of the Antiques Roadshow on BBC Two? I I think they were up against like the Mass Singer or something when this was broadcast. I can't quite remember, but no, that it's was that was the one that I was I was surprised by the two point two. But then I was like, wow, they've even let slip. It's worse. This is as close to flatlining as it can possibly get, but I think we've established before, haven't we, Kyle, that over in the States, the, the figure, you know, Doctor Who has pretty much flatlined. 209,000. How many people can they fit in Hall H at Comic-Con, Kyle? Uh, <laughs> I think not quite that many, but... Not far off. <laughs> it, it, I'm going to say this, and I, I truly believe this. The landscape of entertainment is changing so drastically. I mean, there are already rumors that have started this week here in the States that comcast nbc universal is going to make a bid to buy discovery time warner just after discovery time warner just just did all of its its stuff and the mess that warner brothers is and all of that and the bleeding money doctor who if i am the bbc it might be time to start really considering offers on doctor who whether bad wolf wants to buy it sony wants to buy it because what is happening at least here in the states and i know it's a little different for you guys Shows are jumping off of television. They're going behind paywalls. We just had one of the biggest, longest-running soap operas, which are huge here in the United States, announce that that it's going off of its network and going onto the network's app. And the that is massive. Which shows uh, that Days of on... Our Lives. Yeah, that is a really big show, isn't it? It's like 60 years that's been on. Yeah, you're seeing it more and more and more. And I really think that it's time. To- it might really be time for doctor who to make that kind of move because i think it would get more money into it because you would be having a major net company really wanting to make this succeed and i really think it's one of the few generally loved ips that's still out there that really doesn't tie into anything and that has a worldwide recognitionable name and i think there's a reason why that we've heard rumors of sony with their relationship with bad wolf sniffing around we've heard rumors of disney sniffing around I, I really think there's a lot of blood in the water around the Doctor Who IP right now. And we, it, after the BBC has fought for so many years, I don't know if they feel like it's worth it anymore. The uh, audience appreciation yeah. index figure is also pretty bad. That's still that's uh, back down to 76, which was the figure not just at the beginning of Flux, but the final episode of Flux 2 was a, a static 76. So it's just it's just going nowhere, pleasing nobody. Nobody's being won back around to this show, Charlotte. This is classed as a, as a poor figure for that audience appreciation index figure. This is people who actually watched it. They get to vote. Yeah, but I think maybe a bit in play now, especially as we're, as we're recording, we're running up to her final episode. And the BBC have only just started to do very tiny bits of promotion for her last episode. <laughs> like this, this was hardly promoted. Like we, we got the trailer, like you said, after Flux. And then it was silent until like the week or something before where we got some press interviews and some images. So I think at this point also these specials have suffered a lot because the BBC has finally given up in that sense to even try and promote or put eyes to the end bit of her era i think the bbc just have this this feel of they just want it to be over with 
and they've just got this stock that they just have to shift and it's become like an ob- more of an issue than actually proud that they've got it anymore with especially well, with okay. Jodie. Let me ask you guys, because I, I don't know, because in the States, there's no Doctor Who marketing at all right now. There, there's nothing. Are they at least marketing Tenet coming back? Are they marketing nope. Russell coming nope. back? You have this huge IP. How are you? And you have this probably the most beloved actor associated with Doctor Who coming back. How are you not marketing that even a year from I, now? The, the, there's rumors, Kyle, and we can say it as a rumor. That Jodie's going to regenerate into Tenant in the final that's episode. I've, that's what I've heard. I've heard that too. That actually has made its way over here. I would not be surprised if the BBC are sort of waiting for that. If that doesn't happen in to the do final the heavy episode, for them. to sort of be the big kicking off point for like now Jodie's gone, we don't even have to talk about her. We don't have to talk about Chibs. Here you go, Tenant. And because, because Charlotte, some of our some of our friends on Type Forty Live, the the live stream YouTube show that we do every Thursday from eight PM. Everybody, if you've not caught that, also available as a podcast here on the Type Forty feed. Some of the people we've spoken to on that, people who've tuned out, who who haven't been watching this era, thinking in particular of people like Ian Diaz, who've said, you know, I won't even watch the Centenary special. I'm not going to watch that under any circumstances. I just want to see the regeneration because they know that will be the clip that makes it to the news bulletins, for example. Whoever yes. Jody regenerates into, that will be in the news. Everybody's going to see that. It will also be clipped and put on the BBC's YouTube channel. It'll give people even less reason to go back and watch the actual... I've got to watch 90 minutes of it just to watch that. I oh, know. I'll, I'll just catch that bit on, on YouTube or whatever. So they're shooting themselves in the foot. The, the way they promote it, both before, during and after broadcast. Here's a question. Are they dumb enough to have her start regenerating and not have the full regeneration until the next special? And maybe, and I'm just throwing this out there, playing devil's advocate, what if the Tenant special is like a regeneration memory? I don't think they can afford to do that. I think the fandom needs, because I've spoken to quite a few of my mates who need to just have that closure of her physically regenerating into the next Doctor. And I think the BBC are very aware of that as well. So they want to have that proper, she goes into flames or whatever they're going to end up doing. And then we're going to get, like we said, rumoured, we're going to get tenant. It seems to be the only way to to go, to give it a a jolt, to to do something unexpected and that people watching, I didn't see that coming. I didn't know he was back. I mean, I I think there will be a bump on viewing figures for the next special, for that final special I do. But it's not going to be hugely substantial, whereas that clip will absolutely, it, it will travel, it will make headlines. I mean, for example, the BBC will make sure it makes headlines. They haven't been able to promote the special, as I understand it, as much as they wanted to. I believe the campaign was supposed to have kicked off this last week, just gone, which at the t- at, uh, time of recording, it's, we're only, it's only 10 days ago that we lost Her Majesty, Her Majesty the Queen, which is understandably dominated the news and um, taken over television. But during that time, the BBC has not promoted anything at all you know, to do with the entire centenary that they've got coming up. It's their own centenary event, not the not Doctor Who. So they've got a raft of programming that's ready to go in two to three weeks' time. But they have had to observe that period of national mourning and not promote well, anything, and, any of their own. You really don't want to promote anything right now under these circumstances. Um, now, let me ask you guys this, because, uh, again... 
I'm only getting so much information in the States. You guys go up a lot more. If I am Bad Wolf, if I am the BBC, obviously I think the episode should end with seeing David Tennant. Because then you can go a full year of David Tennant making the I'm here to save Doctor Who. That's not the saying public it, face but, of Doctor Who, yeah. But not only do I make do that, I have an Afro... I can never pronounce his name, guys, so forgive me. I'm just going to say that the, the, the 14th Doctor. I have him everywhere with David Tennant. I have David Tennant. He, he's attached to David Tennant's hip. So David, <laughs> so people get his face, see him and associate him with Tennant and Russell. To so legitimize people, the changeover by association. To legitimize the changeover. And not just make it about David Tennant. Let's get people used to this face. Let's see him getting approved by David Tennant. Let's see him being part of of this too. Don't make it just about, oh, David Tennant's back because as people are going to assume he's back and then he's leaving again after one special. You can do better than that because there's rumors we're going to get more than David in the, in the 60th. Have have all of them. If you've got returning doctors, have them all on the pl- on the trail, doing panels, going to comic cons. I think Russell's going to be brilliant for that stuff and have shooty part of that because then he's fully seen as being embraced by brotherhood. Yeah. Unlike where you had Matt Smith coming in as an unknown for the most part, replacing Tenet, you weren't. You were coming off a high. Now you're coming off a very low, low, and which means you've got to build it back up. And so I think in the same process, you've got to build up your newest doctor in the process and not just expect people to, because the show is on such a high. So they're going to give Matt Smith a chance right now. I think it's, it's more like, it's less likely, Oh, we're going to give this new guy a chance because I don't trust where doctor who is right now. They've got to re-earn the trust of the people. Going to be a long, long road. Fortunately, there'll be lots of other things going on to attract our attention. I think from what I hear, there's going to be quite the marketing explosion for the 60th anniversary next year. If they don't, they're leaving money on the table. And they're leaving an intellectual property that, as you said, Carl, that is potential and always has been a bit of a cash cow. They're leaving it to stagnate. They can't afford to let that happen any longer. Not, And I'm sure that Bad Wolf and Sony and Russell T. Davies have got no intention of letting Doctor Who down and letting Doctor Who fans down. Before we leave it all together, I'd like to ask you guys, how many uh, golden doubloons out of five are you going to give Legend of the Sea Devils? Let's take care of that business first. <laughs> None of us want uh, to say. <laughs> I'm going to take my gold in the blooms and rebury them in a new location with a new map because this, this episode does not deserve any gold in the blooms, to be it's honest. A, it's a you. new low, isn't it? I don't want to bash the creative people who did put hard work into this and the actress who did try to make an effort with this, but it, I'll give everybody a, a shilling for the ones who des- deserve something for putting the effort into this, but a- a- as a whole, no, I'm reburying my treasure. This is a big zero. How about you, Charlotte? Uh, I- I'll give this a one purely because I think the setting is actually interesting. I think historical, some it's good when we get non-English focused historials. H- historicals, if I can get my words out. I think having the pirate angle was a fun idea for a special, but it wasn't delivered well. So I'll give it a point purely because the setting and those little bits of nice CGI. But like we've gone through the issues, the pacing, the structure, like I said, the fact that she left Dan, it might sound a bit daft that that got me, but it did. 
because I was just like, that's such an anti-doctor thing to do. And the Thasmin stuff, they're trying to build on something that's not there. So I'll give it a one. That's very generous. I have to agree with my with my friend Kyle. I'm going to give this a zero as well. I think I'd probably be a little more generous and, and, and give it that one were it not for the culmination of four years now on screen work on the show. I think it's astonishing that somebody looked at this and thought that it was worth putting before the British public. Absolutely shocking. And a new low for not just for the ratings, but for the entire Doctor Who legacy. And they should all uh, hang their heads in shame, quite frankly, at how bad they are. They are leaving leaving this, this whole show. Absolutely shocking. If you are a completist, of course, you, you can add this to your collection. Legend of the Sea Devils is partnered with Eve of the Daleks and they're both available in a double pack on DVD and Blu-ray. That was released back in May uh, all over the world and I understand there's some sort of celebration box set coming that will include both of these specials and the Centenary special. That's due out towards Christmas again on DVD and Blu-ray and in some sort of steel book as for the BBC Centenary edition of Doctor Who we have a title. Kyle, it's called The Power of the Doctor. What do you think about the title there? I, I can give you the <laughs> honest answer. I can give you the, I'm going to try to put a positive spin on this answer. Um, the Power of the Doctor, yeah. Is he spinning that wheel again? Spinning that wheel again? <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah, he's spinning that wheel. Honestly, I would have been more fine with this if this was five, year, five six, seven years ago when the Doctor was kind of at its height. This, this could have worked because I, you could have spun it as we're showing you how powerful that Doctor Who is as a worldwide recognitionable thing and how yeah. important the Doctor is. Now, it has it has no meaning. It's the end of an era, good or bad. This is not... The power of the Doctor is not a way to end an era. The 50th would have been the power of the Doctor. <laughs> that name, you know, the, you, can, you can actually tie a lot of meaning into this. It's almost meaningless at yeah. this point. It's just laziness. Hollow, lazy, derivative. We've spoken a little bit about this before, Charlotte, but have you have you got anything that you'd like to add? You've had a few days of living with it now as a, as a recording. <laughs> Are you excited for this? Do you see any more potential there? The, the more I've thought about it, the more I think this is him really going to double and triple down on the timeless child. The power is, is going to be that hidden history. We're going to learn more about the Doctor, which we didn't want to know about. We're going to learn more about the intricacies of what the Doctor is. Because with Chibnall, I've noticed his titles give you basically the function of the episode. So that's why I think the power aspect is going to be all about this timeless child. A 90-minute special that's going to end this entire era. That's going to see Jodie Whittaker's Doctor finally burst into, into flames. And something, well, something better. Things can only get better to carry us into the anniversary year. We'll be talking about every single twist and turn to this story here on Type 40 and Type 40 Live over the coming months. Not quite sure how we're going to cover that special just yet. There could be some sort of live podcast recording. I don't know. I want to do something different. I want to do something creative, something instinctive in light of the fact that it's probably going to be an absolute mess. Maybe we should uh, trip down to the off-license, I don't know, see what happens. Uh, but the I, party poppers will be in, and they will be firing off everywhere, Kyle. I, I'm thinking you need to, you need us to set it up, get your crew and your companions ready. I think you need a literal, literal 
live instant reaction show. It's going to be a thing. You're going to have people who maybe haven't watched for a while tune into this because it is a regeneration. Regenerations always bring a little bit of hope. I have this envisionment, guys, and I almost Godfather-esque where Chris Chibnall was led to a dark room and he they threw him in it and in there was probably like Russell, maybe David, a few other people from Doctor Who and said, you will write all of this timeless child out of your out of the system and out of the timeline before we take over or you you will never be heard from again. So if, if it means that it's going to be timeless child related, but it's going to make it go away after it's all said and done and played off. Oh, it was like a it was a grand plan from the master to mess with the doctor again. I don't care. Just make it go away. <laughs> <laughs> make it dematerialize, everybody. Make it dematerialize. And just as it happens, that is the old girl starting up and calling time on another edition of Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast. I'll be back with some more soon. Look out for that wherever you found this. It could have been on the dedicated home feed for Type 40, type40.podbean.com. Or maybe we rolled up on the podcatcher of your choice, like Buried Treasure on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Google Play, PodBay, all those other places. You get the picture. We're even on the PodBay app itself. Plus, we're still on the fabulous Fandom Podcast Network's Master Feed that's loaded up with all those treats for your ears. Never mind on the weekly. There's something there practically daily. So please consider a trip sideways in time and connect with the Fandom Podcast Network. Now, maybe you'd like to reach out to us through our social media. That can be found on Instagram and Twitter, at Type 40 Doctor Who, or you can join us. Join generations upon regenerations of Doctor Who fans in the Type 40 Facebook groups over there on Facebook. Just type Type 40 into the search field, and you'll find not just the Type 40 group, the long-standing Type 40 group, but you'll also find a brand new group. We've got the Type 40 Doctor Who Blu-ray and DVD collectors group. That's for those who want to go a little deeper, a deeper dive into physical media. So you want to compare all your aspect ratios and special features and share some uh, shelf porn over there too and, and feast over other people's collections as well as your own. You can even email us, type40doctorwho at gmail.com for, for uh, any suggestions. If you want to tell us that we've got this completely wrong, maybe you thought Legend of the Sea Devils was the best episode of Doctor Who ever broadcast. They do say that every episode is somebody's favourite, Kyle. <laughs> so if, <laughs> where can people go if they want to hear and see more of you, Kyle, out there on social media? Well, obviously, you can hear me all over the place on the Fandom Podcast Network. We've got... Everything kind of running in high gear right now. We got um, our True Believer show covering all things She-Hulk, um, Union Federation, which we've now partnered up with the BQN, and we're sharing some shows between each other there. Um, Union Federation is covering everything Star Trek Lower Decks right now. Of course, we also have some new the BQN shows now showing up on our master feed, including All Good Things and Galaxy Class, Time Warp, Couch Potato Theater, Blood of Kings covering all things Highlander, of course, Type 40. You can still find on the master feed for the Phantom Podcast Network. And of course, our good friends over in Australia, Adam O'Brien and his Lethal Mullet. And I, I, I hear there's rumors that you and him share a lot of deep thoughts together, Dan. We do, we do. That's, yes, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and all things Douglas Adams that, that uh, Adam and I get together and talk about on Deep Thought. Every now and again, when we feel like it, when the stars and the time zones align, Adam and I spend around 42 minutes in one another's company deep diving on, uh, on all things from the mind of Douglas Adams, obviously connected to Doctor Who back in the 1970s. So 
yeah, go and check that out over with uh, with Adam on the Lethal Mullet feed there. Always good for a laugh. I never know what he's going to do to me on those shows. Whatever effects he's going to put on my voice or whatever he's going to throw up on screen. Adam is one of the one of the most creative podcasters that I know. And I think that Douglas Adams would absolutely approve. How about you, Charlotte? Where can people catch up with you on social media or out there on YouTube? Well, you, you'll see me on Type 40 Live on Thursdays and on Type 40 Podcast to, to suffer through Jodie Whittaker of late. <laughs> There you go. You can't say fairer than that, can you? I think when people sign up for a stint with us, they, you know, I can't guarantee them a good time, but we can guarantee uh, therapy almost and solace. It's a sort of network of support, really. We've helped ourselves help each other through this entire era for over four years now, Kyle. On one hand, it doesn't seem that long, but on another, boy, does it ever. Just the, less than 30 episodes of a TV show that have been so difficult to trudge through but the end is nearly in sight we will be here to cover the power of the doctor that doctor who bbc centenary special and we'll be here to talk about it as soon as we can stay tuned on to the social media to find out more about all of that but uh, yeah that's it for now we always have the time if you have the space here at type 40 we'll speak to you all again soon you take care bye-bye <laughs>